0: Welcome to What I Wish I Knew
1: by Dental Head Start, your weekly mentoring session.
0: All this talk of AI machine learning, but what does this actually mean for dentistry? Am I going to be able to plug in a bite-wing radiograph and the computer tells me where the caries is for me? Join Dr. Pathani and I as we discuss all the breakthroughs and limitations to all things machine learning and dentistry.
1: One thing machine learning isn't is it's not some mythical magical thing that kind of just does things on its own. It, it, it's essentially a study of using statistical methods and designing algorithms that allow you to make predictions or allows the system to make predictions by learning from the data that it's presented with. So really, it's looking at statistics, calculus, and algorithm design.
0: They talk about how machine learning can, you know, if you upload something like a bite wing radiograph into one of these things, it's able to, there's now technology that it can detect where dental caries extends into and where it would be on the bite wing accounting for all those other things like, you know, cervical burnout and all that stuff. What are the possibilities of machine learning in dentistry?
1: So maybe we can spin the question just a tiny bit and say, okay, well, how does machine learning essentially interpret a bite wing or a radiograph or an OPG, right? To, to predict caries, for instance. So what what happens in that kind of scenario is that, okay, you've got this model on one side, but But you need to feed the model data, right? It needs to learn from something. So how does that happen? You need a group of people to manually label Carrie's bone height, where cervical burnout is, where the periapical radiolucencies are, whatever you, you want the model to output. You need a group of people to label that data, which then becomes the input for a machine learning model. And then... When you want to use these things in practice, essentially what you're saying is I've trained you as in the model on, say, a thousand radiographs. I've shown shown the model exactly where all these things are. Now I want it to do exactly the same thing on unseen data, right, which is actually pretty remarkable to, to get a machine to do that and, and have reasonably good performance this is actually already being done. So there's, there are commercially available products that you can purchase, at least in Germany, Canada, and the US that I know of. And they do exactly what you said. They highlight where caries might be, what the bone height is, and where the periapical radiolucencies are.
0: What would be the accuracy of those programs at the moment? And do you feel like they're at a satisfactory level for a clinician to use?
1: What I find interesting is that they don't really publish their performance results on their websites, but they do say they do say that some, you know, that they're FDI approved, for example, right? But one of the things that I just want to point out that accuracy isn't always the best metric to use when you're evaluating the performance of machine learning models. And think that as clinicians, we tend to we need to be more skeptical about how performance is evaluated as well, right? So what accuracy is, is it's only telling you that out of like a 1,000 predictions made by a model, 900 of them were correct. 900 were correct in either saying there is disease or there isn't disease. So one of the things that's an issue is, okay, let's say we've got this bite wing and we've been told that, you know, this model can get ICDAS level 5 and 6 level carries correct 99% of the time. Yeah, okay. But an ICDAS level 1 or 2, it gets correct 5% of the time. Yeah. How yeah, useful yeah, yeah. is that actually for us in clinical practice? Like an ICDAS level 5 or 6, we can see that clinically, but that's yeah, an issue, right? Yeah. That's not yeah, helpful. Yeah. Another way to think about it is think about it in terms of like the actual data that you're being you're using in the model and what you're using it for. So for instance, if you're building or developing a model that you want predicting malignancy versus a benign lesion, obviously the data that you're going to give it to learn from is going to be mostly benign lesions, right? You're not really going to, and you don't want to see a huge rate of malignancies, right? So you might see a 0.1%, 0.01% rate of malignancy. So then we're told, okay, this model is 90% accurate at predicting malignant and benign lesions. But you need to ask a follow-up question. So how did it actually perform in detecting the malignant lesions? They're the ones that you're more, more interested in. If you then get told that, okay, this model was trained on 10 malignant cases and 900 benign cases, and out of the 10, it misclassified nine of those 10 as benign lesions, how useful is that? So 90% 90 accuracy isn't really telling you much. The question then you need to ask is, what is the false negative rate for the thing that you're most interested in?
0: Yeah, wow, yeah, yeah. That's where statistics can really throw things. That's a really good point.
2: DPL is proud to be hosting their inaugural Spotlight on Risk conference on Saturday the 27th of May. It's a two-hour online conference and it's free for all dental professionals and students. Get excited to hear from their awesome panel of speakers including Drs. Laurie Walsh, Annalene Weston, Colm Harney, Simon Parsons, Dan Pronk and social media specialist Karen Sutherland as they talk through a variety of topics including artificial intelligence, failure and resilience as well as the benefits and challenges of using social media as a clinician. Personally, I'm really looking forward to hearing them talk about AI. There's no doubt that times are changing and I think it's important for us to recognise that and understand the impacts technology may have on dentistry. Registration is super easy and you can sign up via the Dental Protection website or through the link provided in our show notes. It's going to be such a valuable event so make sure to tune in.
0: Do you see that, I guess you Talked about false negatives, but let's think about also like positives and false positives as well. So, I guess could you see as a result of machine learning's ability to pick up things that maybe we hadn't of, um, say, yeah, ICDAS one lesions, but also other pathologies that might be present in an OPG that we might have missed, like I think carotid stones or something like that, like you know those kind of things that. Uh, an experienced tutor might pick up on an OPG during a Viva that we might not as students or recent graduates. But do you see the rates of pathologies in general increasing just by nature of more of this kind of technology being implemented?
1: I think that's certainly a risk, but I think at the end of the day, like we were talking about with commercially available product that is already showing you, where all of the periapical radiolucencies are, it's picking up caries everywhere. It's probably not going to get caries right hundred percent of the time, right? There might be some artifact that it misjudges as caries, right? I, I mean, isn't it still up to the clinician to make a judgment call based on clinical exam findings, based on other investigations like your vitality testing and history taking? If you've got Someone who's got a large salivary stone, for instance, they're probably going to complain about symptoms that, that you need to manage and deal with. I guess my argument has always been and always will be that as clinicians, we have a lot of information to synthesize. And just because there's an artifact on a radiograph or an AI model tells you that there's something there that isn't there, still our clinical judgment that we need to exercise.
0: Yeah, I guess we don't want to switch off our kind of clinical synthesis yeah yeah yeah, yeah
1: if if this opg or if this model is telling you that you know you've got an ICDAS one carries on a four six occlusal are you actually going to jump in and open it up or are you going to monitor it is that going to depend on patient factors like what is their diet like you know
0: there is still so much going on even with the technology yeah The next question was what are the limitations but i guess you've kind of already mentioned that is there any others that you'd want to highlight? Uh,
1: well, so when I think of limitations, I kind of think of it from two perspectives. Like one is limitations inherent to machine learning models themselves. And another is, well, what are the limitations of machine learning in the context of clinical practice, right? I feel like they're two different but overlapping themes so when we talk about the models themselves obviously model performance hinges on a lot of factors so I don't know if you've heard of this but junk in junk out if you're feeding a model poor quality data if your radiographs are rubbish there's cone cutting everywhere how do you expect it to learn Um, so quality of data is really really important And then if there are changes to data over time, so if you've got a model that relies on patient demographics to make predictions, right, about maybe a prediction about how often someone might return to practice, what if your practice's patient demographics start to change over time? What if that area is gentrifying and those demographics are changing? The model has not picked up on the new demographics, so it's going to over time perform poorly. There's also been, not so much in dentistry, but in medicine, there's been, a, there's been one study that's shown that just by changing the machine, so if you change your OPG machine, you've upgraded and bought a new model, that can throw a, a machine learning model itself. So it was trained on images that were produced by an older OPG machine, and now you're using a new one, the images are slightly different, your model's performing poorly. So they're the sorts of things that are kind of I see as limitations inherent in the model itself that you need to keep track of. And then, like you said, we've already talked about this, but limitations in the context of clinical practice, we need to be concerned about privacy and ethics. Are patients going to be comfortable with giving consent to third-party vendors essentially who are the ones building these things when things go wrong? When it comes to medico-legal and responsibility and our accountability as clinicians if you're relying on a model to make a decision for you those things are not actually interpretable so it will make a decision but you will never be able to quite figure out what the rationale was for that decision because it only works in numbers and really random numbers that have no meaning to you no one's quite figured out that part or piece of the puzzle yet. So as a clinician, you still have a responsibility to rationalize your decision making, right?
2: If you're on the hunt to upgrade your current pair of loops, or if you're a student looking to invest in your very first pair, let's talk about admetech Loops by Byron Medical. Last year, just about everyone around me was showing off their brand new pair of refractive loops with a wireless butterfly light that had just hit the market. I had to get on board and I'm pleased to say I've not looked back, or should I say down, since... Lightweight, sturdy and stylish, Admatex Ergo Loops are designed to optimise your posture so you're not popping a disc trying to prep the distal of that 4.7. Level up your scales and cleans when you can actually see every tiny fleck of calculus fly off the tooth. With a tiny battery light that clips on magnetically and switches out seamlessly even mid-procedure, say goodbye to getting tangled in your wires and the painful indents on your nose bridge from having to support heavy loops. Biomedical are Australian based and are quick and easy to get in touch with and address any issues you have they'll even come out to your workplace for your initial consult and fitting session so look no further pardon the puns and join the club and if you mention dental head start they'll even throw in a special added bonus
0: i think there's a bit of a a theme emerging in that you've certainly got clinicians that see this kind of developing technology and its you know uses and being quite skeptical and wanting to not even touch the stuff but then i guess there's also people and those that would have this kind of blind, let's just take it all on board. And I guess there's got to be that understanding of how these machines or how this actual software works. And as you said, using previous data, it's not going to be able to account for, well, extrapolate essentially.
1: No, I think it makes sense. I mean, I think you put it well because essentially you were highlighting the fact that there's a need for a balanced view on all of this, right? So, Another way to look at it is, okay, you're in you you start working in a practice. You're working in a nice fancy practice that actually is using one of these machine learning models for caries detection, lesion detection in radiographs, right? One thing that's I think beneficial is that that practice might be in an area where a particular serious potentially malignant lesion whatever it might be doesn't it doesn't kind of get seen in that practice very often maybe they see like i don't know 50 a year if that
0: yeah 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 yeah
1: but a model that's been trained on a thousand of that that same case could actually be beneficial in that regard where it is it is actually helping the clinician with something that they're not encountering frequently enough so that the the day that a case walks in this model is actually helpful and useful
0: and just finally how do we as dentists i guess keep keep track like because it's such a rapidly progressing field even at the moment so i guess how do how do we keep in the know of what's available and i guess like because a a lot of you know we don't do computer science in dental school you know i guess it's uh
1: honestly. um, So I have a lot of views about all of this stuff. Um, One of the things that I have a massive view about is that this seriously needs to be incorporated in the education side of dental degrees, essentially, this should be component. And I, I say that, but I also understand how, how impossible it is in a schedule that's already crazy. And it's hard to fit in yet another thing. But this is critical. We might need to let something go in order to fit this in. There is talk of in, in the profession, there is now talk of students essentially having the ability to code as part of their their school education to push the needle forward to make progress because I think you must be aware that dentistry traditionally has always been behind medicine as far as progress is concerned. Medicine is already 10 years ahead of us as far as AI is concerned as well. Um, this is collective action and it kind of needs to start from the bottom. So it needs to start from dental training where, you know, when you have that research component in your degree, Maybe part of that research component is actually exploring these sorts of questions or, you know, use of AI tools. And maybe over time, not so much now, we could start actually implementing some of these things in dental school so that you get exposure before you're even out there. And I think there needs to be more emphasis on clinician researchers. Okay. There isn't enough. And I guess now having spent 10 years in clinical practice and going back to do research, I kind of wish that I did start ten years ago. We owe I guess we owe it to the community and to ourselves to to make progress. if it's not if it's not us, who's going to do it for us, right? So the reason we're behind in research and in grants and funding and stuff is probably because yeah ninety nine percent of us just move on to clinical practice, and that's it. But could we not do both? Could we not be clinician researchers, which is actually very common in medicine.
0: As somebody who's about to graduate, it feels like the profession of dentistry has been, you know, we've we've known about teeth for a long time. Is I didn't really realize that there's still so much to research. Is that kind of what you're saying?
1: There are some seriously exciting questions that we're still, even in medicine, haven't been answered. So for instance, we know that these machine learning models and these, you know, chat GPT like models, these things have immense power and potential. So how do we now use these models to incorporate genomic data, epigenetics, microbiome data? And how does that then translate into modifying how we care for people? These are things that we haven't really explored yet, but there's so much potential to learn so much more. You're right. We know a lot about teeth. We know we have frameworks to help us with care. But somehow oral diseases are still the most prevalent. So where is the gap and what's going wrong? Part of it is our research community is probably slightly weak. We're probably not getting enough funding and grants and and kind of changing the questions that we're asking. We, We shouldn't be asking about, you know, the science of teeth so much as, okay, can we look at cell regeneration? Which... Obviously, people are. People are looking at robotics. We didn't really t- touch on robotics today, but that is an area of research in dentistry that's being explored right now. There isn't enough AI work being done right now. There's there's so much to do.
2: And
0: here I am on Friday nights uh, waxing up my dentures.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I know. I know. I know. I can't tell you about that.
0: Yeah, look, is there anything else I guess you want to get out there or?
1: Like I was saying before about what I wish I knew 10 years ago, what I wish I knew, I guess, even in dental school was having the ability to incorporate different disciplines and applying knowledge from different disciplines in a creative way to solving dental problems. Because if you think about it, dentistry is actually an amazing field where it's highly procedural. There is so much incorporation of technology already, right? Um, Whether it's the dental chair, the materials we use, it's, it's pretty amazing. There's a lot to learn from other fields, particularly computer science. How do we leverage the skills and knowledge from other disciplines to improve patient care?
0: Thank you so much for listening to the Dental Head Start podcast. I genuinely hope this is helping you become a better dentist. So, if you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe on your podcast player and I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go to social media and share something that you've appreciated from us with one of your friends. That's how the word gets out. That's how more people gain and benefit from what we're doing. And if you're a dental student or a graduate and you want to get a head start, go to dentalheadstart.com to find everything we're doing to help dental students become great dentists.